This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Blue Wire. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of your favorite Miami Dolphins podcast, Fin It to Win It. I'm Kyle Krabs, host of Fin It to Win It, here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, also the lead editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, a lifelong Dolphins fan, and the new proud owner of my very own Ray Finkel jersey, which I'm very excited about. I, I mentioned this on Draft Dudes, which is the podcast that I do with Joe Marino for the Draft Network, dedicated to a uh, 365-day-out-of-the-year NFL draft process. And we like to banter at the beginning of the show. And one of the things that I introduced on yesterday's show was I was on Amazon just kind of BSing around, right? Like, I had to pick up like a workout supplement, and as I do every three weeks, I left a pair of sunglasses somewhere, so I need another cheapy pair of aviator sunglasses, so I had those in the cart, and you know, I, I got my little work office down here in my house, and it's it's decked out with Dolphins stuff. I got Dolphins flags on the walls, hats hung up, signed Dan Marino jersey in the background, I painted one of the, my accent wall, that's how you know I'm getting old, I've got an accent wall that's, that's teal. And uh, I said, what the heck, I'll see if there's any stuff for the man cave. And I just typed in Miami Dolphins uh, fan uh, apparel. And one of the top hits was this stitched white throwback Ray Finkel look. And I said, my God, I have to have it. (laughs) And I put it in the cart. I went to check out. And I thought about it for like three seconds. The mouse hovered over that button before I hit checkout. And ever since, I have not regretted it. It's coming tomorrow. Today's Tuesday, uh, June 18th. My Ray Finkel jersey will be here tomorrow. And I'm already going to pledge to all of you that I will record next week's Fin It to Win It and document it in the Ray Finkel jersey. Very excited about that. Also very excited about today's podcast. One of the things we're doing today is looking at the state of the AFC East. We're going to go behind enemy lines. We're going to talk about the off-seasons that we saw the Jets, Bills, and Patriots have and and what each one of those teams looks like. So we've spent a lot of time here in the uh, Twilight episodes of Fin It to Win It talking about the Miami Dolphins and the addition of Josh Rosen and, and the multiple defensive fronts that they're going to be running and the offensive line with Michael Dieter and Jordan Mills and Chris Reed and Daniel Kilgore coming back. You get the point. But what about the teams that we're going to have to see twice in 2019 as we have every other year? 
And as I'm sitting down and going to craft this together, I'd also just like to lament the fact that it wasn't that long ago that the NFL realigned these divisions and they kept the Dolphins in the division with the New England Patriots. You think back to some of these other years that the Dolphins had. They probably get another two, two, maybe three division titles over the course of the last 15 years if they're not in the AFC East with the New England Patriots. But we are, and the Colts were the ones that got the out. They went from the East uh, to the South. Indianapolis in the South really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's none of my business. I didn't put the divisions together. We're going to talk about the division rivals that we do have, starting with your reigning champion, New England Patriots. Okay, so when I look at the Patriots roster, the first thing that I recognize reading through uh, their list of free agents that they had this offseason, they lost a lot. Not only did they lose a lot, they had Rob Gronkowski retired, and the saga of trying to fill this spot has been amazing to watch from afar because Gronkowski retired. Big problem for everything that he does. He's an excellent pass blocker, tremendous run blocker. He's a shit tackler in safety, (laughs) but he's a very good receiver still at this point, even though he has physically slowed down so much from what he was when he first came in the league and was such a special uh, receiving threat. Gronkowski retires. The team on April 10th signs Austin Safarian Jenkins, who used to be a Jet. He had, I think, uh, two good years in Tampa. Anywho, uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins signs. And then almost a month to the day later, they sign Benjamin Watson. Three weeks after they sign Benjamin Watson, who's 38 years old and had announced retirement and came out of retirement. Benjamin Watson, it's announced, is suspended for four games because he violated the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy because he took supplements that were helping him heal because he thought he was done playing football. So they signed Sferrin Jenkins and Watkin, or Watson. Watson is then suspended three weeks later. Just like a few days after that, the team cuts Safarian Jenkins. Back to square one. You know, you're going to have Watson for 12 games, although Miami will miss Watson the first time through the schedule. They play week two. Um, And it appears as though last week they come to an agreement to trade for former Toledo tight end Michael Roberts, who was a productive receiver in the red zone for the Detroit Lions. They announced the trade. It's for peanuts, as it always is with the Patriots. And then he fails his physical. So Roberts gets shipped back to Detroit. Detroit cuts him, and then the Packers pick him up on waivers. So the Patriots, with whatever they choose to do at tight end, they're going to be on option D, which is incredible. Um, The tight ends that they have on the roster right now are Matt Lacoste, Steven Anderson, Ryan Izzo, rookie Andrew Beck out of Texas, Uh, Jacob Johnson, that's it. That's the tight ends that they have on the roster. So they're not done, right? They they can't be done. They can't roll into the season and play four games with those guys at tight end with how important the tight end position has been traditionally for the New England Patriots. The other things that I look at and, and I take inventory in with the Patriots, 
They lost Trey Flowers, one of their best defensive players. Now, they replaced him with Michael Bennett in a, I don't know if it was a pick swap or just for a late pick. But Michael Bennett got traded from the Eagles to the Patriots to replace Trey Flowers. And that's the part of the business that the Patriots do so well. Because Trey Flowers left from New England to Detroit on a five-year, $90 million contract. If you're not good at math, that's $18 million a year is the average annual salary of that contract. Michael Bennett was traded to the Patriots. I have the details of the trade here. Uh, send a 2025th to Philly for Bennett and a 2027th. So essentially, the Patriots traded down two rounds a year in advance to get Michael Bennett to replace Trey Flowers while making uh, his, Michael Bennett's 2019 cap hit versus uh, Trey Flowers uh, $6.5 million is the cap hit. That's what the Patriots do well. They churn out, they find and identify who are our cornerstone pieces of our roster, we want to keep and focus on those guys, and then we'll simultaneously drop the expensive guys like a bad habit, and they're going to turn around and look at a third-round pick. So remember that. Patriots will get a 2023rd for losing Trey Flowers in, in free agency. So they've traded the 2023rd and a, 2020, a 2023rd Michael Bennett and a 2027th for a 2025th. When you think about it like that, why doesn't everybody conduct their business this way? It's incredible. You really stop and do the math on the capital coming in versus the capital going out. Did they downgrade between Trey Flowers and Michael Bennett? Sure. Is Michael Bennett less of a long-term option? Sure, he's 33, 34 years old. Trey Flowers is 26. But they were never going to play Trey Flowers that money. So they save money. They get a third-round pick. Michael Bennett and a seventh, and all they gave up was a fifth? Like, we get, the rest of us can't possibly be this dumb, right? But that's how the Patriots are able to reload. If we're just focusing on 2019, they do probably downgrade a little bit from Trey Flowers to Michael Bennett, but they also lost Trent Brown in free agency. The Raiders gave him a monster contract, which, good for Trent Brown. Uh, Patriots, fun fact, have Isaiah Wynn coming back from an Achilles injury uh, that cost him all of his rookie season in 2018, so they're losing a player and automatically replacing that player, no questions asked. Uh, Malcolm Brown left in free agency to go to New Orleans. Cordero Patterson left to go to Chicago for two years. Uh, Dwayne Allen left to come to Miami. Probably, if you look at what the Patriots have lined up behind the players that they lost, probably the one that hurt the most was Dwayne Allen, which is incredible to think about. You lose Trey Flowers. Yeah, we got a replacement player. We lose Trent Brown. Yeah, we got a replacement player. Oh, yeah, he was the 23rd overall pick of 2018 NFL draft. We lose tight end Dwayne Allen. Yeah, he was the backup anyway. Oh, wait, Gronk retired. Oh, wait, Farron Jenkins uh, has has to focus on his personal life. Oh, wait, Benjamin Watson's been suspended. That's how the Patriots do it, man. So you can get excited about the bodies that the Patriots lost. 
but you also need to keep the perspective on how much that they had lined up and how they continually set things on tees for two years in advance. They signed Jamie Collins this offseason on a one-year, $2 million contract. Like, what the hell, man? They're the only team in the league that, that could Jamie Collins would sniff for $2 million is because he had great success there beforehand. If I was going to pick a weak spot on the Patriots, I'd dial in on, I can't even say the receivers. Drafting Nikhil Harry in the first round. Maybe he's a rookie. Maybe he has some rookie struggles. Julian Edelman's still there in the slots. Going to really minimize the loss of Chris Hogan to the Buffalo Bills, who we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, Demarius Thomas is there. I know Thomas is battling some health issues, but uh, if he's able to get himself back to even a shadow of himself, they're in great shape. You're going to have James White catching passes out of the backfield. Sony Michelle almost rushed for 1,000 yards. He'll definitely rush for 1,000 yards this year if he stays healthy. Philip Dorsett's still there. So this team, again, is going to be a problem, even though they incurred so many losses, even though they lost household names relative to, you know, the if you're a, a football fan in any way, shape, or form, Patriots lost some big contracts with guys that they brought up through the league, but you consistently see those guys like Malcolm Brown and Trey Flowers, you know, they, they have success in New England. They go somewhere, they, they're successful, but they're not as successful. And then in the case of Jamie Collins, they'll turn around, tuck their tail between their legs and come back on a one-year $2 million deal. Don't expect the Patriots to go away. I don't think we're going to see them leave just yet. Let's move on to the New York Jets. But before we do, I do want to take a brief pause and recognize one of uh, Blue Wire's excellent podcasts. This podcast is actually up to number one overall, or at least it was over the weekend, number one overall on the iTunes charts for sports podcasts, which is absolutely tremendous. So I do want to take a brief moment to pause and let you guys get a chance to get caught up with everything that you can expect from Real Underscore Sports, and I'll be right back after their message to you. What's up, Blue Wire listeners? This is Jack from the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. We recently ranked as the number one sports podcast on all of iTunes, all of Apple. We cover all things from the NBA draft, from NBA free agency. We're working on MLB this summer as well as the NFL offseason. Catch me and my co-host Abe on the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod, a part of the wonderful Blue Wire Podcast Network. And we're back. We're back to talk about the Bills and Jets to bring us home today, second half of the podcast. New York Jets, interesting team, right? Adam Gase, head coach, just signed Joe Douglas to be the general manager. Adam Gase was the team's third option. I believe Mike McCarthy and uh, Baylor coach Matt Rule were the team's first two two choices to be uh, the head coach of the New York Jets after the team fired Todd Bowles, but uh, both of them snuffed the Jets because the Jets wanted to uh, pick assistant coaches, and uh, neither one of them wanted to 
essentially tie their reputation to a situation in which they weren't able to pick their own coaches to be on their own coaching staff. And I don't blame them. And Adam Gase, on the other hand, with the way things went in Miami and and how south he turned the culture there despite spending two years shuttling players away that didn't fit his perceived notion of culture and then still loses the locker room, which is pretty incredible if you think about it, jumps at the chance. Adam Gase comes in. He, Greg Williams, uh, those two personalities will be something to watch throughout the course of this year. Uh, Adam Gase hired Dow Loggins to be his offensive coordinator, which blows my mind that Dow Loggins is, is still an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, but, you know, I guess Adam Gase went 5-1 and one against the Jets, so the Jets don't know any better. They only know the good side of Adam Gase. They saw they saw Gase and said, well, shoot, this guy's a juggernaut. You know, we can't beat this guy. we got to get this guy. And as you look at what the Jets have done this offseason, they've been very aggressive. They did end up firing Mike McCagnan after the 2019 NFL draft. Gase was the interim GM for about a month, and then they signed Joe Douglas. But the free agent process and the draft process for the Jets was aggressive. I think that's the best way to put it. Five-year, $85 million contract for linebacker C.J. Mosley. Four-year, $52 million contract for Pittsburgh Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, those are the headliners, and you've got one on either side of the football for the Jets, and that's a huge addition. Uh, Jets conducted a trade for Kalichi Osemele from the Oakland Raiders to upgrade their offensive guard position, which will help Le'Veon Bell quite a bit. But remember, Adam Gase... There were murmurs and swelling and whispers coming outside the building that Gase off the record had been talking to people within the organization saying how he didn't want to spend that kind of money on Mosley and Bell and thought it was inefficient. And and it's like, dude, now you've already got your two prized possessions on your shit list because you can't, you wanted to to distance yourself in case those, those moves went poorly. And um, Gase, his biggest problem in Miami, as of even the Minnesota Vikings game, I could have made a case for the Dolphins to keep Adam Gase. But watching the team just throw their hands up because he just refuses to take responsibility for anything. We ran out of bullets, he says, at the end of the year. Well, yeah, you got hurt, but your team played like shit. In large part because of you and your offensive coordinator and your stinky game plan. Pass protection for Mike Gusecki, one out of every five reps. Turtling against the Indianapolis Colts. If you don't trust your players, I don't know. You, you got to... F- they had things that were working throughout the entire season and they bailed on them. They quit on them. Cincinnati Bengals game comes to mind as far as just you cannot stem the bleeding. The Indianapolis Colts games of just being unable, completely unable to stem the bleeding. And then three games at the end of the year. The Vikings down 21-0 in the first 16 minutes of the football game. The Jaguars, the team didn't even get off the bus 
and the road finale in Buffalo in which they curb stomped you. And the team said to hell with this in every single one of those games at some point. That's my biggest worry with Adam Gase. And then you see him in New York start to already plant seeds of doubt about players like C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell. And it's like, dude, you're the third team, for, it's the third choice for the team, man. Like, just get on board. Pretend to be excited for once in your life. But anyway, C.J. Mosley is a big addition on the second level for this team. Him playing next to Avery Williamson, behind the likes of Henry Anderson, Quinton Williams, and Leonard Williams. Really, really promising group. This has this has potential to be a very stout front seven. And then you add in behind it the safety play that they have up the middle, their defensive interior on all three levels is really, really good. Then they got Tremaine Johnson, the secondary. I like the defense a lot. Outside pass rush, they're probably banking on Ja'Kai Polite to step up a little bit. Team's third-round pick this year. Terrell Basham, guy they picked up off waivers from the Indianapolis Colts, was a prospect that I liked a lot in last year's draft cycle. Jordan Jenkins has been a productive player, not necessarily – a blue chip player or a long term viable starter, but he you could do worse than Jordan Jenkins as an outside rush linebacker. So they're going to be a problem up the middle on both sides. They're where the Jets are soft is at the edges of the line of scrimmage on both sides because they're outside linebackers, as we just mentioned. Jordan Jenkins, Brandon Copeland. Nobody's writing home talking to mom and dad. At training camp talking about, man, I don't want to go practice tomorrow because Brandon Copeland's going to whoop my ass. That ain't going to happen. Jets' offensive tackles are still Brandon Shell and Kelvin Beecham. I love that they added Calicio Semley. But with the draft capital that they had, the early pick, potential to trade back, with the salary cap dollars that they had, I was expecting to get more spending on the offensive line for the New York Jets. What does that sound familiar to? Hello, Miami Dolphins, Adam Gase. Offensive line, it's kind of an afterthought. We got one or two good players. Something to watch for the New York Jets. That has the potential to derail their season. I was looking for some way to derail the New England Patriots season, I think they'll just commit to running the ball if they can't get the passing game going. Turn back into the early 2000s New England Patriots. Tom Brady's all of a sudden a play-action extraordinaire. They're running the ball 30 times a game. We've seen the the, the Patriots be chameleons. I don't think there's anything based on the the coaching that they have there, the talent that they do have. It's going to look different, but the success and results are going to follow. For the Jets... Outside pass rush. Now, they have Leonard Williams and Quinton Williams, which is a problem. Those two guys on the interior are wonderful pass rush prospects, athletes. Very quick twitch. But their outside pass rush and Brandon Copeland and Avery Williamson and Ja'Kai Polite and Terrell Basham, if that group can't get kickstarted, kind of like the Miami Dolphins, it can be a problem. On the offensive side of the football... They got a really good offensive lineman in Calicio Semley, 
just like Larry McTunsil, an offensive tackle for the Dolphins. And we're not really sure what we're working with here as far as long-term viable answers with Jonathan Harrison and Kelvin Beecham and Brandon Shell. And so the offensive line can be a problem. The good news for the Jets is Sam Darnold played tremendous football over the course of the last six games of 2018. He, he played very well. Looked like a different player in the second half of his rookie season. So if Adam Gase can get that version of Sam Darnold, Sam can mask a lot of the issues that you would see on the offensive line play. And it's just like any other team in the NFL. Good quarterback play can help you mask the flaws within your roster very, very effectively. Which brings us to the last team that we have to talk about, the Buffalo Bills. And another 2018 rookie quarterback, Josh Allen. If you were going to pick a way for the Bills to be derailed in 2019, it's Josh Allen doesn't take the step forward as a player that he needs to, to be a sustainable starting quarterback in the NFL. Bills ran a ton of check down or touchdown to check down type reads. Josh checked read one, read two, and he's off to the races. But even when he had his first or second read, the accuracy and ball placement skills and consistency, it's not where it needs to be to be a viable long-term starting quarterback. He killed teams with his legs. Dolphins fans know this better than anybody. Made Kiko Alonso look like a 10-year-old little kid trying to tackle him. And that is always going to be a dangerous part of Josh Allen's game, but that cannot be the game. Josh Allen has to expand his skill set to be a more consistent, more accurate, more effective starting quarterback. If he does, Bills have potential to be a problem because they found the nice balance between what the Dolphins are doing this offseason, what the Patriots are doing this offseason, and then on the other end of the spectrum, what the Jets did this offseason where they just spent, and you throw money at everything. Well, the Bills spent, and they didn't spend an astronomical amount of money. They only gave up one contract this offseason to Mitch Morse that averages more than $10 million per year. Now, were they a little aggressive with the four-year $29 million contract to Cole Beasley and the three-year $27 million contract to John Brown and the three-year $18 million contract to Tyler Croft? Probably. But I look at what this team did on the offensive line, and it's really exciting. They drafted Cody Ford in the second round. They signed Ty Nisecki, uh, one of the best swing tackles in the NFL, who's played at Washington over the course of the last few years. Nisecki's going to get a chance to start. They do have Deion Dawkins there. So those three guys, Cody Ford, Ty Nisecki, and Deion Dawkins, they're going to duke it out from both starting spots on the offensive tackles. Loser kicks inside the guard. Great. Dawkins got a look at guard before he came out of Temple in 2017. Some people already think Cody Ford's going to end up playing inside. Naseki, no way that guy's kicking inside guard. He's winning one of these tackle spots. It's just left or right tackle for him. Then they signed Mitch Morse. So what could derail the Bills from an offensive perspective aside of Josh Allen is how long does it take all these new pieces on the offensive line to gel because Niseki's new, Cody Ford's new, Mitch Morse's new. They signed Quentin Spain in free agency. He's new. 
They signed Spencer Long in free agency to a three-year, $12 million contract. John Feliciano is a new addition to the offensive line. They might not have anybody aside of Wyatt Teller and Deion Dawkins as players that were on the roster last year on their offensive line group this year, which isn't a bad thing. Needed to be done. But that's a lot of new pieces. How long do those pieces take to settle in, especially when you consider the offensive skill players? Cole Beasley's new. John Brown's new. They drafted Dawson Knox as a tight end in third round, and he's new. Tyler Croft is new in free agency. So the the turnover is tremendous with the Bills, and I like the players that they've added. They added Frank Gore, new back in the backfield. Devin Singletary, third-round pick. They signed T.J. Eldon in the offseason. LaShawn McCoy slowing down. He's one of the few consistent pieces that they have. So it's a brand new new look offense for the Buffalo Bills, and I do like a lot of what they did. John Brown and his vertical ability, along with Robert Foster, who will still be there, uh, who was an undrafted free agent, averaged like 20 yards a catch, something astronomical last year. Zay Jones is still there. So there's some familiar pieces on the outside for Josh Allen to throw the football to. But by and large, the chemistry of this offense is something that can threaten this team early in the year. Defensively, Ed Oliver, tremendous football player, top 10 pick. Bills did a nice job. You look at the Bills up the middle. Harrison Phillips is a a stereotypical one technique for any team in the NFL. He's not going to kill you with anything other than being strong as hell, winning with leverage, holding gaps. He can bull rush into the backfield, and his motor's hot. Third round pick in 2018. Was mentored by Kyle Williams for a year. Stepping into that role, I think that he's going to be an effective player. Effective one technique. Ed Oliver next to him is a penetrating three technique. And behind those two guys is Tremaine Edmonds, who just turned 21 years old and already has a year under his belt as a first-round pick in the NFL. Had like 112 tackles. Uh, I think he had two, two interceptions. He had like 10 or 12 passes defensed. Seven quarterback hits, something like that. Like he was all over the field. He was up and down in the first half of the year, but he was much more consistent. And that's a scary good football player because he's an elite athlete with elite measurables and he's so young and he's already got a year of experience. If I was looking at the Bills defense and I was going to identify three cornerstone players on this defense Tredavious White in the secondary, Tremaine Edmonds, a middle linebacker, and Ed Oliver at the three technique. Add in on top of that, they still got Jerry Hughes in the picture. Lorenzo Alexander has been a tremendous story, watching him kind of bud into his own. They've got two strong safeties in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. This team's a problem. If I had to rank the teams based on my expectations in the AFCs this year, Patriots are obviously first. I would probably put the Jets second on a coin toss with the Bills just because I feel better about the quarterback play 
And I think top to bottom, their defense is more talented than the Bills. And the Bills have more uncertainty as far as phasing them in and making sure everybody's all on the same page. This team will play better in the second half of the year once they've got a chance to really establish that chemistry. Unfortunately, that leaves the Miami Dolphins to sit in the cellar, at least for now. I think the Dolphins could surprise us, but I don't necessarily think they're ready to compete in the AFC East. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Fin It to Win It. We'll be back again next week with my Ray Finkel jersey, as promised. I'm Kyle Krabs. Hit subscribe. Check out all the great podcasts that Blue Wire has to offer. We'll talk with you guys again next week.